0: Welcome back, Journeyers, to another episode of Reed Keeper's Journey. So where are we? Um, Last episode, Michael decided to go back to the meadow. Now, he believes that this meadow where they appeared is the same meadow in his dreams. And he also thinks this whole thing revolves around the woman with the eyes somehow. Now remember, he received the cuts on his face from the woman with the eyes in his dream. And he still hasn't told his friends about that. Also in last episode... Zoe called Michael Reedkeeper. It didn't seem like it was a compliment. Now, back to the story. Chapter 11 Michael could not help looking over his shoulder every five seconds. The tree was massive. It dwarfed it anything he'd ever seen. It really was a living skyscraper, and it took all his concentration not to let his mouth hang open in amazement. As soon as they exited the tree, they were joined by a group of armored girls. Like all the women he had encountered, they had that same paradoxical youthful face weighed with years of experience. One moment, they seemed like they were fourteen, and the next, twenty-four, but their eyes carried the shadow of many years. He did his best to study their unusual armor through the corner of his eyes, It was not wise to stare at a girl who was armed for bear. Heaven knows they were prickly enough as it was. There was no need to stir the pot any more by unintended slights. The leaf armor had a disquieting effect on his eyes. The colors would shift and flow from green to red to gold, depending on how light struck the leaf mail. That really did look like leaves. The effect reminded Michael of when steel was tempered, that rainbow effect across the metal but just more dramatic, and it obviously made excellent camouflage. One of them could be five feet off the path, and he would never even know it. The sun was beginning to burn off the low-lying mist that swirled about their footsteps. The day promised to be beautiful, and he could not remember when he had breathed cleaner air. He walked in silence, the dew dampening the toes of his boots. Despite the morning's briskness, a sheen of perspiration broke out across his brow, due to the quick pace the foresters set. Michael watched, fascinated, as the girls faded in and out of the surrounding forest. They didn't so much as snap a twig. Their armor didn't clank or bang like he expected. In fact, nothing could be heard in the crisp air except for birds and the tromping of his friends. After a long internal debate, he decided to approach Callista again in hopes of gleaning some useful information. Callista Yes Michael the- please he cut her off more abruptly than he intended please just call me Michael or Reed all right very well reed what is it that you wish of me michael couldn't tell if she was being sarcastic or not maybe zoe had gotten to her where are we after his first question earlier today he thought it'd be best just to start with the basics You are in the forest, the forest that keeps a sacred tree. Of course. Uh, Yeah, but what I mean is, he fished around in his memory of all the numerous fantasy books he had read. This uh, land, what land are we in? We are in Gaina, the land of the five Anani. Anani? She eyed him as they walked and finally answered. Yes, there are five Anani, each for a race of people. The Metaph, the Lectok, the Lestrogan, and those who once lived at the sea cliffs, the Lassifum. That's only four. Why do you play with me, Hyperborean? She emphasized a last word. You swagger like you know yourself very well. Swagger? Michael thought. Michael bit back a response. He was getting more than a little tired of this treatment. But instead, he tried to smile and said, Let's pretend I don't know anything. As you wish, you are the guest. The five people of Gaina are the Metaph, keepers of the tree and watchers of the staff, the Lektok, those who live in the shadow of Kar and dwell with fire, the Lestrogon, exiles of the plains, and the Lacifum, water watermasters who are no more. And, he prompted after a few moments of silence, and the Hyperborean, she snapped, tree slayers, I tire of your games, she said, and stormed off. Michaels aspired. He didn't want to upset anyone, especially anyone that beautiful. He had to face it. Women were never going to be his strong point. At least he had learned something. Tree slayers, that explains a lot. Not many can bring Callista to anger so quickly. Zoe said as she snuck up on him. I know of only one other, and she's talking to you. Great, Michael thought. Look, Zoe, before you start in on me too, I want you to know that I'm not what you think I am. I'm just a guy from a little town who doesn't know where the hell he is. Hell? She actually seemed amused. Yeah, um, it's a term from home? It's a place where evil people go when they die. Eternal uh, uh, punishment? The concept of hell always struck him as absurd. How could an intelligent person believe in a place that no one had ever seen? He looked at his surroundings and thought how the idea might have some validity after all. Could such a place exist? I really don't know. I, I hope not. Don't be afraid. He added lamely. Afraid? She made an indelicate sound. I fear nothing, Hyperborean. Fine. It was tricky getting used to these people's backward way of speaking. I'm just looking for some answers. He decided to change his approach. I doubt you can answer any of my questions, anyways. I can answer anything your weak mind can muster. Score one for reverse psychology, he thought. Who are these Hyperborean? She gave him the very same exasperated, suspicious look that Callista had. Very well. Hyperborean infest the entire land. They spread like a sickness. Their largest city, she said the word with the utmost contempt, is called Ropinmon. They are people with no honor or decency. Lying and scheming are mixed in their black blood. They worship their Anani and refuse to believe in the spirit of the land. They hold no respect for Guiana, and would hew and rape her soil as if she were a dead thing. Because of their greed, their barbaric nature, and the atrocities they had committed on the Metaph, we waged war on them. Eventually, a truce was struck, but not before many lives were lost. We would have finally cleansed the land of their filth. But mother commanded us to make peace. She shook her head, unable to comprehend her matriarch's move. To seal the treaty, our mother agreed to wed one of us to their brood. And so it has been for generations. Forced peace. Fresh anger burned in her eyes. Bloodlust. She yearned for the chance to cleanse the land still. And you're next in line. He finally understood. Even if he wasn't a Hyperborean, his appearance must be like a thorn in her side, twisting and reminding her of her fate. Yes, she exhaled noisily. The lot has fallen on me. As the spirit chooses, so the spirit leads. Sorry, Zoe, he said clumsily. She seemed to look at him with new eyes, or at least not completely hostile ones. I hope the spirit leads you home, Reed Keeper. To be separated from your people is an agonizing thing, even for a Hyperborean. He understood her plight. To be separated from your loved ones was hard enough, but to be forced with people you despised and who would probably despise you in return. Actually, he knew exactly how she felt. What do you mean by the spirit? You question like a babe, she muttered. The spirit? is the breath life of Gaina. gaina is the ground you're walking on? Oh, I get it. We call that Earth. I don't know this word, but I see you understand. They walked on, warmed by the rising sun, but kept cool by the soft breeze. So, what's an Anani? An Anani is a mortal who chooses to bind themselves to the spirit and Gaina. They do not die, and just as the face reflects the heart, so also the Anani's territory reflects their soul. But what if... The group came to a stop at Callista's command. It was midday, and she said it was time to eat. You may test my knowledge later, Reed-keeper, Zoe said, and left him standing alone. Michael let out a satisfying grunt as he cracked his back and strewn his body on the blanket. It felt good to lay down, but he feared it would take some serious effort to get himself moving again. He considered himself fit, but the cumulative stress on his mind and his body was beginning to take its toll. He stretched out on the blanket, hoping they didn't have much further to go. You gonna hog the whole blanket? Michael peered through the stream of sunlight in his eyes, up at Steve and Heather. I might, he grinned. What's it to ya? He sat up, making room for his friends. What did you say to Callista? She looked ready to skin you right then and there, Steve asked. He handed Michael a small bundle of cloth tied with string. I was just trying to find out more about this place. Michael opened the cloth to reveal fruit and cheese. He took a piece of brittle white cheese and popped it in his mouth. To his surprise, it tasted remarkably like goat milk cheese, something that his grandmother always seemed to have in great quantity whenever they visited. Michael, maybe it would be best if you tried not to upset them. Heather suggested. "'And I get that, Heather, but we need to know what's going on. I don't know about you, but I'm terrified,' Michael snipped. "'And I don't know who these people are, and I don't know what's going on, and I have to take care of Stacy. The only reason why I didn't try to escape was because we don't know where to escape to. So yeah, it's probably best that I don't try to upset them.' "'Mikey,' Steve said. "'No, Steve, you treat this whole thing like a joke. Don't you get it?' We are in serious trouble. Michael roughly wiped at his face, leaving a smear of blood on his sleeve. And if anything happens to my little sister, so help me, I will burn this forest to the ground. Michael! Steve shouted, and then added very calmly, Sit down. Michael hadn't realized he had stood up, or that everyone was staring at him. He unclenched his fists and dropped to the ground. Crap, damn it. Steve poured some water from a wineskin and handed him a damp cloth. Michael started to clean the blood off his face. Sorry, Michael muttered. It's okay, Steve said. We're all scared. You just have to keep it together. I know, it's, it's just... I know. Michael was at a loss to explain how he felt. It was like something was constantly pulling at him, like some weight holding him down. He felt like he was trying to run while being waist-deep in water. It could be done, but not well. And he always seemed pissed. He never really had a temper before, but now he constantly had to fight it. He kept reminding himself of Jack, and that thought sickened him. What did you find out? Michael figured it was best to simply move on. They discussed what they'd learned separately, around bites of food. Steve naturally asked about talk and discovered that they sounded much like dwarves, Short, burly men that were excellent smiths. He said that the mettaf got their armor from them. That one told me. He nodded to a brunette warrior. Rista, I think her name was. Anyhow, she said that there was plenty of work for me if I felt the need to, how'd she put it, dance with sparks? Heather added that Metaf seemed to have a complex system of societies. The societies rotate with different duties and could be identified by types of clothing and their hair braids. Michael wasn't interested in that. He was looking at a way to get Stacey back home safely. As they were getting ready to resume their journey, Steve asked, Michael, what if there isn't a way back? There is, Michael said. Chapter 12 Michael stood at the edge of his dream. Everything was exactly as he had dreamt it. The sky, the meadow, the stream. He scanned the sky for dark clouds, but found none but there hadn't been any in my dream at first either. Maybe I'm still dreaming, he thought. He could be. It would be foolish to think otherwise. Maybe he had an aneurysm in his sleep and he was in a coma. Maybe he had this dream a million times and it just kept on looping. There was no way of knowing if this real was really real. What was reality other than perception? Pascal's wager, he said to himself. A maiden looked at him and sneered as she walked past. Michael let it slide as best he could. Last week in history class Mr. Greenman had taught Pascal's wager and it clearly applied to this current situation. If he remembered it right it was hard after all to pay attention in the class with his girlfriend his ex-girlfriend sitting two chairs away. But Pascal said that if god didn't exist and you lived as if he did you didn't lose anything if there was no heaven. However, if God did exist and you lived as if he didn't, then you would risk internal damnation. So if he treated this world as real and it wasn't, there was no risk for him. However, if he acted like it was a figment of his imagination and it was in fact real, well, he could die. So in this case, it was much better to be safe than sorry. It had taken them most of the morning to reach the stream but no one seemed interested in resting again. The group spread out and searched for any clues as to how they arrived, and, more importantly, how they could get back home. He watched Heather as she walked the circumference of the grove with a perplexed look. Even from this distance, he could clearly see the wheels turning in her head. He knew that she expected to find a cave nearby or some type of evidence of how they arrived. It would take more than a miracle to make her believe they appeared out of thin air. Michael's own mind kept returning to the last moment he remembered in the cave. They had jumped through a black wall and must have, what, been teleported here? He knew the how wasn't nearly as important as the why. Perhaps the hellhound was protecting the portal, but that didn't sit right with him. The thing chased them into the portal. They had been herded. Unless the Metaf were playing dumb, they seemed just as surprised to see him as Michael was to be here. So, someone wanted them here, but why? What would anyone want with a group of 17-year-olds? And if someone was responsible in bringing them here, why here? There had to be a reason. A thin film of frustration covered him. If only he could sort it out. I see nothing of what you described, reed keeper. Zoe shouted the accusation as she walked along the creek's edge. He paused. He paused and then crossed the meadow to meet the red-haired Bramble. I thought it might be like this, but I had hoped to find something. Anything. Steve and Heather, along with the five other escorts, had gone to search for answers further down the stream. Though she wanted to go with them, Michael insisted that Stacy stick with him. Now she walked a few steps in front of him and Zoe, looking bored, although she did seem to gather some solace from the surrounding beauty. Ken walked with the other maidens, one of which was Callista, talking quietly. The two had been in close proximity to each other ever since she had stormed off from talking with Michael. Michael ignored the twinge of jealousy that sprang up. He kicked at a stone. I mean, it's like we just appeared here. Zoe said nothing. What? Perhaps Nanani could possess enough power to summon people, she answered. Sounds like any number of books I've read, Michael thought. But that doesn't even make sense. Most people want to avoid teenagers. Perhaps you are more than you appear, she said without conviction. What do you remember about coming here? Michael's mouth twisted in doubt. What I remember was jumping through a black liquid. It stood on its side. It had to be a portal of some kind. A black, she said. Yeah, I could swear that it, it sort of rippled, like when Stace went through it. You mean when you threw me through it, she said over her shoulder. I don't recall you arguing at the time. I don't recall having time to argue, she countered, mimicking his tone. Rippled, like water swallowing a stone. Zoe's eyes were intent. Yeah, it was just like, are you certain? Black, not white. She stopped, and Michael took two more steps before he realized she was behind him. He turned to her. I'm fairly certain, though I was being chased by a dog made a fire at the time. We must return at once. Mother must know this. She sounded worried. What? Zyla, Zoe called to one of the girls. Tell the others we are returning at once. The dark-haired girl shot off like a leaf in a tornado. Hold it. His temper flared in confusion. What are you talking about? Zoe turned on him. If what you say is true. If you have seen Canth, Michael, your face, Stacy said. She sounded worried, too. Wait a second. What's a Canth? Michael demanded. "'Does anybody else smell that?' Ken's voice shook. Michael whirled around. That stench, his nose recoiled. It was the same one from the cave. In a blink, Zoe and the other maidens had formed a tight protective circle around Michael and his friends. The air hummed with the sound of their slings twirling at their sides. "'Walk slowly into the water,' Zoe commanded. "'Do not run.' The group edged its way to the stream, eyes fixed on the tree line. Michael saw nothing, but the stench grew with each breath. A shrill scream ripped through the peaceful afternoon. No, 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 Ken whispered to himself. Four huge creatures broke into the clearing. They looked like mastiffs, but instead of being made of flesh, they were composed of fire, just like the one from the cavern. Ken! Zoe shouted. The steady hums shifted. One of the creatures crumpled in mid-stride as two stones sunk into its chest. It screeched and evaporated. Another took a stone to the head and lurched to the side, charring the grass as it tumbled. The third leapt at a maiden. The cant's heat was so intense that the maiden's skin began to blister before the thing even made contact. And then it was on her. It pinned her to the ground and its paws started to melt through her armor as her braid burst into flames, making a hellish halo around her head, filling the air with the stink of burning hair. She never even screamed. The maiden beside her flicked her wrist, and three stones punctured the cant's side. It wailed and vanished. Without the slightest hesitation, the same maiden hefted a spear and thrust it into her withering comrade's charred body. The remaining hellhound rounded on the group. Your fate is sealed, Michael Reed. The woman with the eyes' voice emitted from its blazing maw. You have made your choice, and you will perish for it. It melted into the ground with stones sinking into the blackened grass seconds too late. Zoe spun on Michael. You brought that here! Something tickled his cheek, and he slashed at it in annoyance. His hand came back red. His cuts had reopened. You! She roared. You caused that! She pointed at the twisted remains of what was once a vibrant girl. Someone retched behind them. Do you know who she was? Bania of the Bakhtoth limb. We wove first braids together. She wrenched the spear out of the body, murder in her eyes. Clissa was between them in an instant. Zoe, she said softly, firmly. Enough, Zoe. Enough. Zoe looked like she would run them both through. Instead, she buried the spearhead into the ground and stormed off. We must go, Clissa said calmly as she watched Zoe. We must reach home before dark if we hope to reach it at all. Calista, Michael tried to say. How could I have known? She placed a white cloth in his hands. We must go now, or not at all. She walked off with the other maidens, following Zoe. Ken and Stacy appeared beside Michael as he wiped blood from his face. I thought you were dead. Ken looked slightly green. I mean, I thought she was going to kill you. I want to go home, Stacy said. Her eyes were full of unshed tears, fear, and confusion. So do I, Stace. Michael wiped at his face and looked at the blood on his hands. He stepped forward and pulled Zoe's spear from the ground, his grip smearing blood on the shaft. But the way back isn't here, he said, and started after Callista. They joined the others wordlessly. Steve and Heather were unharmed, though visibly shaken, and Michael didn't see the girl that Zoe sent to warn the others must have been the screams, he thought, and then cursed himself for sounding so heartless. Zoe was right. This was his fault. He could have warned them about the canth. Too dead. It didn't seem real. He looked at his friends. They were safe, and that was all that mattered. Wasn't it? No one uttered a word. They rushed along, sniffing the air for telltale signs of sulfur and constantly jerking their heads around, searching for hidden foes. The path seemed colder drawn in on itself, as if the forest was recoiling from the shocking blow. Michael told himself that it was his imagination, but he didn't believe it. The forest was recoiling from him. It was nearly dark when they reached the tree. Zoe shot past the group in a blur, cutting awake in a sea of bewildered looks. Michael didn't know what she was going to tell her mother, or what these people's leader would do once she discovered that Michael and his friends had brought death into their forest. that's all for this episode, Journeyers. In the next episode, we begin to see the kids react to realizing how serious of a situation that they're in, and their lives might be on the line. Also, Michael gets to talk to Hippolyta, the leader of these people. Until then, thank you for listening, and be good to one another.